What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I am your host, Corey Wong. It's been kind of a fun week for me. It's a album release week. I just put out a new album called The Striped Album. Feel really great about it. Honestly, I think it's my best album I've made yet. And I know a lot of people like say that sort of thing about a lot of stuff. Most of my albums that I put out, I feel really good about. But this one in particular, I just feel like I really kind of nailed a thing that I was going for. And I feel like I've discovered myself much more as an artist and what I want to say with my music. So I feel really good about it. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Today on the podcast, I have Madison Cunningham. She is an incredible artist, songwriter, singer, guitar player. Also somebody, we get into talking about this, but who's continually discovering who they are and what they want to say through their music. A lot of people have said, oh my gosh, you know, Madison is seems like she came out of nowhere and is just all of a sudden everywhere, which we even get to a little bit in the podcast. But I think that is kind of unfair in a certain way because it discredits all of the years that she had first of just growing up working on her craft and learning music but also the several years leading up to this as a professional musician doing the thing trying to get exactly to the place that she's at now and figuring out what her voice is in all those areas as a singer songwriter guitar player the other thing that i actually really like about her is that she's not afraid to do covers as well as her original music and do just kind of her own take on the covers i think a lot of times you can beat a dead horse by doing covers in a certain style over and over and over again it's like okay 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 we get it but i think for her she's got a really cool way of interpreting songs and bringing the song out in a new way rather than just trying to do a song in a new genre there's a lot of that sort of thing which is fine that can be entertaining but i think the thing that's really cool about the way that she does cover songs is that she brings out the song in a new light and that's really fun to see she actually just put out a new single the age of worry which is a john mayer tune but she's got her own music out and that's the stuff that i like the most of hers so i'm not going to hold you up anymore let's just get right to the interview this season of the wong notes podcast is sponsored by neural dsp all wong notes listeners get 30 percent off with the voucher code wong Neural DSP creates industry-leading guitar and bass plugins. The range includes signature plugins from some of the best modern guitarists, such as Corey Wong, Pliny, Adam Nolly Getgood, and Tozin Abasi. The archetype Corey Wong gives you everything from crystal clear tones to edge of breakup blues tones, whereas the 14 Amp series delivers all the crushing modern metal tones you could possibly need. And that Nameless is my favorite Marshall amp ever. There's a plug-in here for every type of player, and you can get a 14-day free trial for every single one of them without even entering your credit card details. Find me another company doing that. Once you've found the ones you like, you get that 30% off your purchase by entering the code WONG at checkout. Madison, thank you so much for joining us. It's really a treat to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see some faces. And where are you right now? You said you've been chilling, getting in a flow before we started this thing here. Where are you at right now? Um, I'm in Highland Park, Los Angeles. Hold up kind of like at the bottom of Mount Washington, surviving heat wave and smoke, all of that. (laughs) Yeah. Are you on the York side or the fig side? Fig side. I know. It's like two little subcultures, you know, because they're both almost... um, mirrored versions of each other like York strip is very very um akin to fig strip but you'd kind of choose one or the other (laughs) because you brought up highland park when i listen to your album it sounds to me like a fastball straight down the middle modern east la sound (laughs) thing and it's so cool I, uh, when I listen to it, I think about, and we don't have to get into like the socially Im- social impact or success levels of it, whatever comparing. Don't, don't mm-hmm. worry about any of that. But I, I think just as far as defining a sound, there's like the Laurel Canyon thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's a similar thing happening with the East LA sound and scene right now. And your stuff feels so much... Like it's right in the center of that. It sounds so great. I think I think you're not wrong at all in the sense that 
the people that I know and play with and share my music with and ideas with all run in these incestuous circles, you know? So I think it's, you know, it's inspiration, um, off of people who are, who are in these, um, parts of the city too. And I think it just naturally creates a sound that is pretty distinct to, to where you live. And I actually love that. It's kind of like, um, an area code or something. <laughs> totally <laughs> sonically <laughs> yeah it's definitely that and it's it's really cool i'm curious to how you think the sound is loosely defined you don't have to get too specific and this doesn't need to be like your gospel of the answer because it's off the cuff but how would you describe the sound and how would you describe some of the most prominent artists in that thing are right now so, I, you know i'm i'm so bad at at describing myself and genres in, in general. And um, I, I feel like it starts at a very um, singer songwriter based nature, you know, and that that term is overused, but it's for a reason. It's kind of useful where it, yeah. it starts with like obsession over song and lyrics. And I think that that's what this part of town really um, yearns for is I don't know why I think that, but like even from Wolfpack to um, to Mike Viola, to Sam Weber, to, um, uh, gosh, so many artists, Johanna Samuels, it goes on and on and on. Everyone who kind of lives around like bootleg scenes as well. Um, yeah. th that's a venue, by the way. Um, I feel like it's, it's very, so much, it's so much about the song and that's what, yeah. what people are looking for. Um, so I guess that's, that's where it would start. And then, you know, musically speaking, that's a little bit, you know, I, hard to nail down on how to describe that with adjectives, but I feel like it's, um, I don't know. What, what, what would you say? How would you describe it? The first thing that comes to mind, and it's not an actual objective way to describe it, but it just sounds so cool. It just has this mm. thing that sounds inherently cool about it. If I were to actually try to describe musical things, like it's interesting, organic tones. Mm -hmm. And from a guitar standpoint, I hear a lot of, Princeton loosely fuzzy or mm. deluxe reverb sort of thing. Yeah. A guitar that's not necessarily straight down the middle guitar tone. There's something weird about it. Maybe it's like an old Tysco or Silvertone or a Jazzmaster or a, something that's been modded. You're pretty dang spot on. I'm really impressed. I mean, if you've done no, no, you know, searching <laughs> on that, that was really good for just a listen. But I. I personally play a jazz master, but it's all detuned. So it's incredibly baritone sounding. Yeah. Um, and then amp switches between sometimes a Princeton, sometimes a deluxe, or um, sometimes I play a, a Gibson Falcon. So you're, I'm really impressed again. <laughs> well, I've spent some time with Blake Mills too. And Blake's, again, straight down the middle, that sort of thing too. Yeah. And his totally. weird, uh, who does he have? Mike Cromwell? Is that the dude's name that does all the guitar He's like this guitar tech. He mods all these guitars for like Blake and all these people. They do these insane, he's, he does these wacky things with the guitars and they sound, they have a thing. There's a vibe wow. to them. Wow. I, yeah. I, I don't know who that, that is, but I, I'm sure you're right. I was like, wait, is it Austin Hooks? But he's the amp guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah See, yeah. there's, there's the amp cat. There's the guitar cat. You need a village, you know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up it, for you when you're making your albums did you stumble upon that sound just by living and absorbing the community that you're in? Or was it something that you came to the table making your new album and you had a producer that said, let's do this thing? No, I mean, so I've, I've worked with my producer um, for every record that I've put out since I was 17. Um, his name is Tyler Chester. I'm sure you might have, yeah. have crossed paths with him at some point. He's yeah. amazing. Um, but really like, since we were so familiar with each other, there wasn't necessarily a conversation of like, this is the tone we're going for. This is the, it was a lot of him letting me find it. And then once we both felt like, oh yeah, this is, this is the thing. It became uh, more specific. And then we followed that, that string or whatever of, of inspiration or whatever. But um, I was, I was pretty like focused on, trying to find a tone that stayed pretty um, similar the whole record because I wanted to and I wanted it to be um, easy to travel with. And I know that sounds funny, but I was thinking um, in terms of live music and we recorded yeah. 
everything live. So it was already kind of primed to do that. Um, but it was a lot of me like writing detailed parts in order to play them live to like to know them and practicing and practicing and then you know getting the tones down and w- f- during the lead up for when we were going to actually hit record so yeah there was definitely and also just playing live um and and touring helped me kind of nail down tone um a little bit and what i was comfortable playing because you know you have those a uh, couple bad shows that you're like that tone was really bad. I, I need to, <laughs> it's really worth my time, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Th- those, those shows definitely put, put things into perspective for me and put me on the hunt. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how if you have the right tone for the thing, you can just kind of hit a chord and let it sit. It's, oh. And you feel so secure. That's a good way to put it. Secure. Yeah, and you feel like you can you can do anything or you can do nothing and it still sings. Um, but it's amazing how good how good players like more notes does not compensate for like incredible playing does not compensate for bad tone. Whoo, there's the one liner right there. <laughs> Mark it. That's the one liner right there. <laughs> I mean, we can end it now. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just kind of true. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's something that everybody takes a different journey to get to that realization. And we've all played on bad tone and then just like, I don't know why it's not feeling right. Because sometimes then you just don't play as well because you're not as inspired and you think you're, it's like, I don't sound very good, do I? And then you just play mind games with yourself and then your hands just don't work the same because you're struggling with your ears. Your muscles are like, are freaking out <laughs> yeah they're tensing up yeah it's so true it's it, that that's always a sad night when you're like yeah. dang it it was one little little knob that is controlling my life it's it's dialing me <laughs> your entire destiny as a human being <laughs> exactly well your tone does feel very intentional on the albums and it sounds so like i said it just sounds cool it sounds great the first time i saw you play I was just watching some videos on YouTube or something. I had stumbled across some videos. You playing guitar and singing. Then I found your albums and realized that you played so many of the guitar parts. And the parts that you play in the albums are different than what you play live. Of mm. course, because you kind of have to fill in other blanks mm-hmm. or spaces when you're playing live, just guitar and vocal. Yeah. But I was really... I was really interested in the arranging of the guitar parts on your album. Can you speak to me about your philosophy of creating guitar parts for yeah. your album and then how you approach that differently when you play live? Yeah, so so for, for the last record, Who Are You Now, specifically, it was like me, again, like knowing that we were going to record all these songs live. And so, so everything had to be kind of full of intention from... Um, the writing of the songs to the performance of them. So kind of in my writing, I tried to to make it some parts that were very specific that I could I could play and sing over and that it, it would kind of, you know, be one of these situations and I could figure that out. Um and then and then how to how to put in parts like melodic lines that would be in between my singing that would live in that space, you know, so I yeah. could take a breath and then focus on that. So yeah, I I, you know, it was a lot of me sitting down and hammering that out and then but then you know when you go to play live as opposed to in a studio like even though we were playing everything live I did a lot of overdubbing you know where I was able to be like Mm -hmm. oh sometimes it was on the fly where it was like oh I hear this part I think we should add this and some some of it most of it was was me like in the middle of a tour setting aside a couple hours to just like figure out some some extra parts that would be good over the recording later yeah so yeah i don't know the philosophy is kind of like just the song first kind of like i was saying and then and then try to make the parts sing as well and 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 to not over play because that's really easy when you play live as well as i don't know what your experience is but for me it's really easy to like to to not allow space and yeah and to feel like i've got to take you know the, the these five minutes up completely um with guitar or voice. And I've just learned, um, after watching videos back of live performances to like, to, to give space and breath to both guitar and vocal. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Playing live is, is incredibly different. 
Um, cause there's a, I feel like I do have to naturally just scale some of it back to make the more important parts translate and feel like more, uh, just, I don't know what the word is more like <laughs> distinct. I don't know. Yeah. To just make those parts that really matter. They're more potent. Yeah. To make them sing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great explanation and you're obviously very self-aware because you're three things in this. You are the songwriter, you are the singer, and you're the guitar player. Mm -hmm. So that already in itself puts you at a different place than a lot of other guitar players mm. where they are just the guitar player. Right. And they're only thinking about that. So you already inherently have an advanced way of thinking about your guitar playing because where sometimes a guitar player is just, I was hired to play some guitar, so I better play some guitar. Totally. Well, yeah, it's also, and, and then in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know I'm going to be touring with just, most likely, just a bass player and a drummer. Mm. So there's going to be no extra melodic elements. So that is all really left to me. So I'm always trying to place the burden on myself and then take it off, place it on, take it off, as far as playing and um, and singing goes. You know, because I think putting the, like, responsibility, I guess, is a better word of, like, I'm going to be the one kind of in charge of all of the the extra mel melodic things that happen. Like, I've got to... I've got to know where I'm going. I've got to know what I'm doing in order yeah. to make, you know, an hour and a half show compelling for that amount of time. So there has to be thought, I think. And also to not step on the, since I play in such uh, low tunings, I have to figure out how to, how to not step on the, on Mr. Bass player's toes or Mrs. Bass player's toes, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I have a question as far as songwriting, because that seems to be a big focus of your artistry. Yeah. And you've talked about it as, as being the thing first. How many songs do you normally write before you sit down to make your album? It's totally been different every time. Sometimes I feel like I'm scraping and I and the you know, the ten songs that we're given are like, all right, these these are the ones and we're gonna make these as, as good as possible. But my my last record, we I had written probably probably thirty to forty songs beforehand, and then yeah. just you know, it was just I I'd put a lot of pressure on myself to um, to song hunt, which we all do, but it was just like I'm just gonna go and go and go and go until I find the ones that feel like this is strong enough because um, I wanted every song to feel to feel uh, strong and not a skipper or whatever on the record, so. Yeah, this time, this time, um, I, I, I guess I'm trying the same method. I think it's better to write more songs um, mm -hmm. than you're actually going to put on the record because I think it just allows you to go as far as you can and then yeah. really have some options. Um, but it's, again, it's different. Sometimes the right songs appear and you just feel good about them. And maybe you only had written those 10, but you're going to go with it. How do you do it? What, what, is, your, what is your process? I do a similar thing. I mean, I actually normally, because a lot of my music is instrumental, I do a lot of voice memos or little videos on my phone throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Whenever I have these tinges of inspiration, oh, I like this little thing that I'm playing right now. Oh, let me explore it a little bit. Okay, I'm going to record the idea. Mm. And I just, I kind of keep folders in my phone with these ideas. And then when I actually sit down for dedicated, this is my songwriting time. This is when I show up to work or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I I either find myself trying to get an idea or some sense of inspiration or thing that I want to explore, mm -hmm. or I go through my phone and I okay, I'm I gotta write something in this vibe, and I'll pull from a folder of things and I'll kind of sift through the stuff that I think is good and make demos for those. And I normally demo like 20, 30 tunes, and then I go to the studio and record fifteen, and then. I, ch I like you're saying it's fun to have options, but yeah. I also like recording more than is necessary. So that way, when it gets to the finish line, I really have to decide, all right, this is good. I, I like it to be a hard choice of letting certain things go because then mm. I really focus on what the best material is, at least for this album. Sometimes yeah. it's another uh, one of the songs is really good, but just doesn't fit the project. I like that mentality because then you're you're really having to to, to know and be certain of what the gems are for, you know, for reasons other than just, you know, maybe even like what the best groove is. It's like you're, you're searching for the deep because you maybe like all uh, 15, but you have to find like what is the deeper message of each song, you know, that yeah. 
that will outlive these other five that I've got to get rid of. Do you find yourself writing in a certain mindset? Like some people write for a specific time. You got a Dylan type that's writing about a certain thing. You know, there's so many bands that write about specific topics or certain things or certain album cycles. People write about something. Do you feel like that's your approach to writing and releasing albums or do you just kind of write whatever and then it just kind of fits together because it does? I, You know, I haven't had like an event in my life yet that every song has lent itself to if that makes sense or like yeah or something that i'm like i just can't stop writing about this this is the concept for this record i've not had that yet and i'm sure that will that will come at some point but um it's always been like oh this is kind of this is a a subject or a something that came to my mind and it works this song and like that's going to be a part of part of the record and i do think that there has to be I, I personally like a, a little bit of a, a through line towards the end because it helps me figure out, it kind of helps me hone in the the message of, of the record because I think in some senses it's like releasing a book and each song is a chapter and it's important to have like your your title that, that brings it all home. So I, yeah, it's interesting. I think some of the, the intentionality towards that comes comes towards the end, not necessarily at the beginning because if I put too much roadblocks on it, you know, I, I think I can, I can stifle, get put in a box of, of this concept or whatever, but who knows? Like, I, I think a really good example of a concept writer is Sufjan Stevens, you know, like, I mean, feel the Illinois, you know, that that's my favorite record of all time easily. Mm. And he's so specifically stuck to, to, um, songs about Chicago and Illinois. And, um, so I, I think that's amazing and I would love to do that at some point but that's a that's a very like focused mindset that I'm not sure I have an event to match that yet. Sure. Or ha- or not even an event but like a a concept in my mind yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said you started making albums when you were 17. Mhm. Is that process different now for you when you make albums and write albums than when you're 17? In, in certain ways, it's the same, um, but I learned a lot. I was really nervous for my first record, so I, I, I don't remember talking much. I just remember being like, that's great, that's great, you know? And, and now yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I may be comfortable for, for, um, to a fault. So I'm, I'm way more specific and, and hard on the process than I was when I was 17, you know, I mean, of, of course. And I, I was working with, with Tyler at that time. I was a senior in high school and I was, I just was such a fan of his that, that I, you know, was, I couldn't believe I was working with him. And so I think that started getting in my head and I was just, I was excited and nervous. <laughs> so, yeah. But do yeah. Do you feel like that was the time when you were discovered quote unquote, or do you feel like this last because I feel like this last album you put out, all of a sudden, I, it was just everybody was talking about you. And it was so cool to see you pop up everywhere. Oh, yeah. I Definitely the first record was like a, a drop in a big bucket of water. Didn't even matter. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It, for the better. Because I, I'm glad that my 17-year-old my self and thoughts could just, you know, kind of live in its own lane. Because I, I would have been bummed, I think, if I if that one had done well. Cause it's just a different, you're 17, sure. you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the last record w- was, was the most, um, sort of recognition I had got as a singer, songwriter, guitar player. Um, so I, I was, I was really surprised at that actually, but, but was hoping, you know, you can only hope and you can yeah. only like do your best. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like with this album, you finally got your sound, you came into your own as an artist, or do you feel like you are still discovering that? I found a a baseline of something that I feel incredibly um, comfortable with. And I think from here on out, it's always, it's going to be trying to find like, find the heart of it and the heart of what's me. And I think that this last record was was a really intense search for that. And I think it, it did that because I, I, I still feel very connected to it. But I think from here on out, it's going to be how, how to like expand that idea yeah. and how to how to not just revert to that, you know? Because, yeah. you know, like we all fear of making the, the, the same record over and over again. But of yeah, course. definitely I, I feel like I found a, a home in a sense mm. or a path. Yeah. 
I was doing the deep dive over the last week and listened to everything you have on Spotify. Uh oh. <laughs> and Spotify does an interesting thing where, so I, I, when I looked at you, it just first showed your albums and it showed your most recent album and then it showed an album from 2014. That as was far the as first like one. Full length. Yeah, that was, so your two quote unquote full length albums. And I was thinking, oh, there's so much time in between here. What happened? And then I did a little more. I went down and it shows the singles and EPs and mm-hmm. I see, oh, there is a, like not necessarily, well, in some case, a stair-stepping journey of your artistry along the way. Mm-hmm. And to that, I guess, uh, side note, the last time I checked, Spotify has a thing where your album needs to either be over 30 minutes or more than seven songs, one or the other, to qualify as an album instead of an EP. Interesting. You're probably right, and and both of those EPs that that were in this in the middle of those two records were six songs. So you're probably yeah. right. Um, yeah, they were at at the time after after the first record. Um, Tyler and I reconnected again, and I, you know I had kind of thought like, oh, he he won't want to you know work with me after this was just a favor or whatever. And um, he volunteered. He was like, I'll I'll do your next record. Like, what songs do you have? And I, I really only had like six songs at the time. So that's where the EP came from. And then through yeah. that, I, I got signed to a label and then they wanted to put music out pretty quickly. And so then that's where that EP came from to like hold over the hold over until the to the full length. It was a whole process of, you know, trying to make music in the in the age of singles yeah. Um, until you're ready to have your your first, you know, t- I, I consider who are you now technically my debut full length. What has been the biggest difference between releasing with a label and not on a label? I would say there's not a huge difference besides the fact that I know, you know, it's it's getting released by, uh, you know, a, a label with a little bit more like wind power. Um, yeah. But I don't necessarily feel feel like like all the work that that comes from getting noticed I think is like the work that you have to do but also what your your PR campaign does and and for me that's not connected to my my label so I've always been like also the biggest difference I'm I can't believe I missed this is money <laughs> like I don't have to self-fund my records and that's a big that's a big hindrance sometimes you know like if you don't know how to fundraise properly um is Wolfpack with Wolfpack's not with a label, right? No, we have Wolf Records, which Jack just has made an imprint, and all the I mean, so they're all basically self-released. And you, as Corey yeah. Wong, are you on a label or are you independent as well? It's all just self-released. So yeah. Wolf Records has Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers, which is just like our side project thing. Okay, and then each of us have our own just kind of imprint that we make up to be a self-released thing. Joey Dosick, though, I think he, I don't remember, I feel like he did a deal with something for maybe his last album. But I know Theo and I both are, yeah, I think everybody's mostly just doing everything independently. And you guys do it so well. I think you're all so intentional about the way that you um, advertise and put music out. I mean, I, I'm always watching because I'm just so amazed at the things you guys all come up with. It's incredible. What was it that What was it the Wolfpack did for their for their last record? It was like you get to basically like we'll put one of your songs on our records. Like you get to <laughs> you get to buy a song like a slot. Yeah. How did that end up getting sorted out? Did you find a winner? Of course, yeah. Uh, well, Jack, the band leader of Wolfpack, is is a brilliant mind when it comes to building. He's an internet whisperer. Totally. Um, the the way that you watch Chris Thiele play the mandolin, and the way that we all see Chris Thiele just blow minds on the mandolin, that's what it's like watching Jack at his computer. <laughs> he's he's just like the internet is his mandolin, and. It's fun to watch him and just scheme up ideas and, and get all this stuff. So, yeah, he had the idea of selling track 10. The album is called The Joy of Music, The Job of Real Estate. So he was selling track 10 as real estate like, on the album. That's genius. How do you think of that? <laughs> Jack, man, he's, he's, always, he's got so many other great ideas, too, that, that he's talked about that I know are going to happen at some point, and I'm just always waiting for them to come out and for him to just finally do the thing but yeah he was talking about this for a while and it's like i don't don't know man 
I, I mean, it's going to work because it's hilarious and it's amazing. But, but like, let's hope the freaking song is great. <laughs> yeah, or or not. Or it yeah. could just be like somebody, buy, it, it could literally be Geico and it'll be the Geico gecko talking about <laughs> car insurance. And that would also just be really funny. That would be freaking amazing. I would, I would totally pay for that. I would pay for that on Spotify or, or, or I mean, not Spotify, Apple Music, not Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> um that's yeah i just hats off that's all i can say but yeah i mean I, I think that you guys are like incredibly innovative in that way i mean you guys sold out madison square garden on your own that's incredible yeah it's pretty crazy that's, that's well insane. The, part of the thing with that the philosophy and i'd be curious about your touring philosophy too so we don't do tours we mostly have just done events okay so that's kind of been our thing we didn't do an east coast tour we played Madison Square Garden. And that, of course, is like downplaying the fact that we did the thing. But yeah. I think Jack's idea has been, let's just not do a lot of shows. Let's just do really big events. Yeah. And I'm curious to hear about your touring thing. I looked on your website. Your only shows on your website are Madison Square Garden. Yeah, in for like a year. <laughs> it, yeah, like a year and two months from now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, I had had some other stuff that I was planning to do this year. And then the, it, it all got um, canceled or, or rescheduled, obviously. But yeah, it, we were supposed to play the garden October 30th and 31st this year, which yeah. was, I can't, st I can still not believe it. But I mean, my philosophy, tour philosophy has, has been to just hit the road and go for yeah. it. But I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm at a different place than, than you guys are. I think I'm at, you know, I feel like I'm still at, very much at the beginning and having to put in the the miles, you know. But yeah, I mean, I've been personally thankful for this year because I I did tour so much of last year in 2018 and the year before that that I just this break was was more needed than I think I I realized. Yeah. It's really good yeah. to be home. All right, this is some good conversation. I got to remind you though. Have you guys not gone to that Neural DSP website yet? You gotta go check it out. Use that 30% off coupon, Wong. That's my last name. And while you're there, check out the Archetype Corey Wong plugin. I guarantee you, if you are looking for good, clean, or edge of breakup tones, this is the plugin for you. There's three different amps, a pedal board, EQ, three different cabs, come on! You can use it live, you can use it in the studio. There's that 14-day free trial Check out all the plugins and let me know which one's your favorite. We took a long journey from my question regarding the label thing. And oh, right. you, talked, you touched on something that I just want to come back to. You said that still the majority, I think for some people, they think the fantasy of getting a major label deal or a, a label deal in general, is just like, that's going to happen. And boom, your life is, it's that they're going to do everything for you. But you said, no, it's, I still have to do the brunt of the work on the thing and I have to make something and do the things so that the label can do what they do. Yeah, and when people are doing their jobs at the label really well, it still doesn't alleviate the artist of of the work, you know? Like it's it's a partnership. Um but I yeah. think I think the partnership leans the most on the artist uh sure. from the label side because just because it's like you're the one who's driving the ship, you're the one who's who's writing the story, who's making the music, like it should be up to you. Yeah. That's exactly how, you know, what 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 we would all hope for. But yeah, I mean, I think I I might have had I've been more surprised, I guess, at like maybe I had an illusion of like once you sign with a major label, like you're off to the races and I think now I've I've understood it's like, yeah, I know it's 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 a long build. It's a slow build. You put in the work and Every artist who it looks like they just blew up overnight has had at least five or six years under their belt of like trying, you know, yeah, um, or or like being unnoticed and still working your ass off, you know. So I my, my philosophy in that sense has changed to not like relying on them for success, but on on the behind the scenes work. Like obviously, if if they're not doing their job, then that's a different problem and that's a different conversation but i do think a majority of the quote-unquote pressure falls sure. on me yeah which i'm thankful for in a way yeah yeah totally that makes so much sense yeah is there 
a technique or just a mindset that you get into when you're going into a recording session for like Paste Magazine or for, mm. like I saw you do a thing with for Pickup Jazz and for mm. a bunch of other things, live from here, that sort of stuff. Is there a mindset or a technique or just practice preparation things in general where you know going in, I've got to nail this entire thing in one take mm-hmm. and it's not just, oh, I can do 60 takes and it's just a 20 second clip. It's I have to perform my full song as best well, as I can all the, the way whole through. time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that mentality comes from the way we've recorded, which is like, you know, to have a master that that is is, you know, listenable all the way through um with one performance, one take. But but live like I'm I put a lot of hours into behind the scenes practice before I'm going to perform because I do want every song to to feel like it is like a it's a it's a good performance all the way through. You know, like there's yeah. no like faulty sections, but for like a, a I really enjoy songs that feel mobile and what I mean by that is that you don't need to drag your band everywhere for them to sing. So you can yeah. just it's just you and your guitar and it travels with you. Um so in my writing I think about that too. Like can I play this song and it'll translate without all this all these production elements or without, you know, the 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 bones of bass and drums and keys whatever that whatever it may be. Um yeah, so I'm I'm I think anytime I play alone I'm always trying to find a way to make the song feel like it's it has those elements with without it without yeah. them actually being there. The thing that sucks for me is that I'm like rhythm guitar guy and I, I like lead rhythm. I can do the solo acoustic thing. I can do some stuff by myself, but it just doesn't have the same thing when I sit down with my Strat where yeah. it feel like it, it might be cool to guitar players, but even myself just as a, when I put my general public listening ears on, yeah, it's like, ah, this doesn't, I, I need I need the whole thing to fit in the picture to make it feel like the way that I want to present it. Totally. I mean, I would imagine to cover everything would be incredibly difficult. It'd be a Bach piece at that point. You know, you're trying to cover <laughs> bass and all of your notes. And and I, I don't know. I think everyone has different strengths. And we just yeah. have to play to those. And yeah. And that's the most powerful, powerful version. But I, yeah. you're, I mean, we've never actually met in person, but I've, I've been a distant fan and I'm just, you're, you're amazing. Not to, not to embarrass you or overflatter you, but it's, it's staggering some of the things that you can play <laughs> <laughs> in the amount of seconds that you do. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, but it's so tasteful and artful and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, how many more adjectives can I? Can I give you it? Please it, keep going. Amazing. Please, yes, yes. Please keep going. <laughs> let's just let's just fill no. the rest of this time with affirmation. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's go I'm back and forth five minutes each. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I, well, I won't make it. Well, the feeling is mutual. I really, really admire what you do, and, and I mean it. The when I listen to your album, is there's just something. The guitar playing is not something that just feels like hired gun session cat came in, listened to the song first time mm. down. The stuff feels so. Like you've said, and like I've said, it's it feels so intentional, and it feels like it fits the music so well. I think a lot of people that just would consider themselves guitar players, mm. there's so much to learn from just the the sounds, the intentionality of the of the sound itself, the parts themselves, and even just the the touch and the feel of them. Mm. It matches the song so perfectly. Dang, I'm glad to hear that. Coming from you, yeah. that means a lot. So did you, you talked a little bit about your gear that you used. I'm curious because the guitar and your vocal has a distinct kind of upfront, intimate closeness to it. I'm curious mm-hmm. on what do you, what were you using? What were you singing into and amps, gear, chords, cables that people, this is a guitar podcast. People <laughs> like to know this stuff. Give it to the people. Give it what? Give yeah. It, yeah, give them what they want. Um, I don't remember. This is so sad because I should know what mic I sang into. I can't remember. But but I can tell you amps and, and pedals. Basically, like, I didn't use a lot of pedals, but when I did, it was all JHS. Um, yeah. Do you use any of their products at all? Any of their pedals? To me, I love their stuff. They make amazing things. But my tone is so much more of, like, the clearer 
poppy, like down the middle thing. Yes. And I feel like whenever I use their tones or their pedals, it gives me, it just kind of brings it a little more left of center. It's yeah. like, oh, this would be so cool if I did this kind of music. Totally. This would be so perfect if I did this stuff, but it just doesn't, uh, it's not, at least the, some of the pedals that I've used haven't felt like they've connected with my sound or my voice. Totally, yeah, exactly. They have a, they have a distinct sound for sure and um and i think that's what i i love about it for for what i do but um i i would use like sometimes i would use their distortion pedal if i wanted to give it a little bit more gusto or whatever but for the most part it was like gibson falcon um uh with with um a magnetone we would mirror them so that Mm. they would be recorded at the same time and then uh so it's like double amp sound and then just like very minimal pedals and so all all the tremolo was like on the on the amps um and then sometimes i'd use this little pedal called the penguin that gives it kind of like a little bit of a warble effect that i i love it's so beautiful and but yeah for the most part we really just tried to stick to getting tones from the amps um themselves and then me just kind of picking up different guitars and seeing if they worked with the tuning and because I mean, uh, one song in particular that I played, uh, is, it's called Pin It Down. It's the first song on the record and um, it's C standard. So it's it's incredibly deep. It's a half step above baritone level yeah. or whatever. So that was that's also a hard s- sort of frequency range to get good tone out of. That's not just like, you know, this, this big yeah. and um, not too compressed or whatever. So... That took a, a bit of like, you know, thumbing through to find. That is a low to for. So you just put that on your regular guitar. Do you use thirteens or something? Do you use much thicker strings? No, I, I play elevens. I've I've done twelves at at yeah. some point, but mainly elevens, and then they're um, flat wounds. So that kind of helps. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the string still feels manageable, but it's definitely got tougher skin, you know. But yeah, it's 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 kind of a nightmare to to travel with. I have to change the strings pretty frequently because i'm just always afraid they're gonna they're gonna break (laughs) yeah because of a plane or something like plane cabin pressure or whatever do you check it or do you bring it on board i bring it on board do you so i use a strat and a strat's a bolt-on neck and honestly my guitar at this point it's my baby to Mm -hmm. a certain degree you know because it's been with me through so much but the reality is it's like a $900 guitar or something, which yeah. it's not cheap, but it's not, it, it, it wouldn't be insane for me to replace it. Totally. And the Strat's pretty resilient, so I check it in a mono case. It's a thick block of wood too, you know? Like it feels like it's indestructible Yeah. in, in some ways. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I wish I could do that because that is so much easier than having to deal with, you know, your flight attendants who automatically hate you when they see that thing on your back. Yeah, you're just like, oh my god, you're gonna. Fight I watched Theo so many times, just like complete anxiety going up, and he's, you know, he's he he's a talker, so he'll get in and he'll talk. To, oh, uh, you know, he'll, charmer. he'll find so yeah, he'll he'll charm some way to make it work. But and then after we started flying a lot more with Delta, when you get Diamond Medallion, they'll let you basically sit in the cockpit and play guitar with the. You know, I once know. you get to a certain level with the, with the airlines, they're <laughs> like, all right, all right, all right. You, you've flown enough. Bring whatever you want. You know, totally. Bring three <laughs> guitars and we'll put them all up, you know, in the in the little. OK, hold on. That's area. speaking of three guitars and Theo. Oh, no. I, this is a funny story. Flying Southwest. This is years ago. Theo, somehow he's got a Stratocaster, a 335 and a nylon string guitar. Right. Three guitars. You're kidding me. <laughs> somehow gets through security and he's trying to get on the plane <laughs> with three guitars and he's like saying that somebody was gonna let them go through and then there was like this they were holding up the plane and finally he ended up having to play this exorbitant amount of money for a last minute see who let you through here <laughs> with three guitars what what makes you are you do you seriously think we're gonna let you bring three <laughs> guitars on board with one ticket Oh my God. And he did it or he had to pay money. He had to pay a crap ton of money or something to, I don't remember how he did it, but (laughs) I I can't believe he had the audacity to, 
to even think that that to was going to be possible. So, I mean, has he ever traveled like that since, or does he, is he pretty, you know, consolidated now? Uh, it's it's much more consolidated now. Yeah. The double case helps because even though it's a thick bag, people are pretty like, oh, you got one guitar, we'll make it work. Yeah, but they, it hurts your freaking back. I know. It's awful. Oof. I've got like, I'm only 23, and I've got you know chronic back pains because of that stupid bag <laughs> like still having to you know work it out but you do what you got to do i i feel that for the love of it that. you know okay to kind of close up there's a fun fun little thing i like to do because again we've we've gotten into a little bit of a gear land some people like to know if there's gear that they need we're all looking for gear for whatever reason is there a piece of gear 20 bucks ish or less that everybody needs Oh, man, I wish I knew one knew of one that cheap. I would just say a pick. <laughs> That's fine. That that has been an answer before. <laughs> I think Eric Johnson said a good pick. I like, know. Oh, I okay. know. I know. Okay. Um guitar strap rubber locks. Ooh. They changed nice. my life. Twelve bucks. Maybe even less. But they're literally like I when I thought, you know, guitar strap locks, I thought you've got to go and get get those metal things installed literally just get your you know your crappiest guitar strap and you put these little rubber boys on the on the end and then your strap will never fall off that is the technical term rubber boys rubber <laughs> yeah that that's literally on the label rubber boys yeah it's 2000 uh, it's the fender fender rubber boys 12 dollars <laughs> yeah. on sweetwater <laughs> exactly no, there, i exactly i that's a great answer i have never even thought about that Sometimes I use gaff tape when I don't have a rubber boy with me, but those little fender things are great. At least maybe they have other brand ones, but no, the ones yeah. that I use are those little fender ones. You just put them right over the thing and it works perfectly. Yeah. You don't have to stress one bit. I mean, I've had so many times where I'm like, I forget about it and don't realize like, you know, the strap also like the little um, hole where the, the nut or where I don't know what the term is called all of a sudden, but like like you, it grows over time, like it stretches. Yeah, and so it like loosens up, and sometimes like I I would be playing, and then the guitar would fall, and there's nothing worse than that. So guys, get get the Rubber Boys. Yes, from Guitar Center Fender. <laughs> and well, I don't like strap locks because they're noisy. Yeah, when I'm sitting around playing, and the strap locks are like. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Like you're you're. Guitar picks it up somehow and it amplifies it. It's terrible. Wonderful answer. Okay, next one. Okay. Piece of gear that everybody needs, couple hundred bucks-ish or less. A tuner, like a tuner pedal. I like that. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty essential. That's a great answer. Maybe maybe a fuzz pedal, because why not? What What's what's the official fuzz of Madison Cunningham? Um, What's it officially called? It's JHS, and it's a, it's a little... This is really... I, Hard to explain, I guess, but it's like a little. What's the picture? They have those little pictures on them. <laughs> I God, what is it? I think it's a sock or something. Oh, I'm I'm so gonna be wrong on this, but it's like bright magenta, and then there's like a green button on it. Um, okay, the the JHS fuzz sock. <laughs> we'll we'll call it that. Fuzzy <laughs> socks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Maybe totally that's what, what it, is. it is. Oh, I think that might be. I might be right on that. Okay, we're gonna. We're going to change the Sweetwater website for them. If it's not called the Fuzzy Socks, it, should it at be. least should be now. Totally. Thank you, Subconscious. Yes, you nailed it. <laughs> you must be a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> I must be just always looking for those, you know, analogies yeah. <laughs> and metaphors. Okay, final final piece of gear. Price is no limit. You are Warren Buffett looking to get into guitar gear. You want to just be dopest guitar player on wall street price is not an issue what's what's the one piece of gear everybody needs you know i if this person is incredibly rich say they're probably going to be pleased at my my answer because i <laughs> because my favorite amp that i've ever played in the world because i think amps guitars are really important right you need to feel at home and mold to them or whatever but amps are equally as important and and i mentioned it before but um, the 64 Gibson Falcon is one of my favorite amps that I've played through for recording specifically. And they're only honestly like 600 bucks on reverb. 
Really? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's a best kept secret. If if you find one that's in good shape, it's only six hundred bucks. So this guy, whoever he is, this rich fellow who wants to become a rocker, might not become a rocker with this amp, but he'll become a feeler with this amp. Are you really just trying to sell your Gibson Falcon that's six hundred dollars <laughs> on reverb? <laughs> You're like the only one who has a listing yeah. for a sixty-four <laughs> Gibson Falcon. I just I want the six hundred bucks. I I don't know what to say right now, so I'm just gonna try to sell. I'm kind of broke, so this is now an advertisement. Yeah, I no, like that. mine is not for sale, unfortunately. But if you find one, it's a good day, and you're lucky. So that cool. would be that's my my answer. I'm 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 not a gear nerd necessarily like i guess in the sense of like i don't have a ton of knowledge on it i just mess around and then i find something that i'm like sounds cool could this work the next time and the next time then i'm sold great (laughs) you don't need to be a gear snob or a somebody who's studied every forum on the planet to know what feels and sounds good to you and do i you know do i admire those people and do i need those people in my life i really do because they help me find Find the nuggets, you know? Yeah, I have a friend who I'm like, man, I want that for Shanti Tony. He's like, well, here's the deal. Here's a link. You're going to need this Silver Jubilee. You're going to need this. Actually, if you like the slash tone, this is the same amp that he used for this, 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 this. You're right. We do need those people because they're a wonderful resource. Totally. Yeah, and they do all the... It's kind of like, you know, those people when you're in school and you're like, hey, can I borrow your homework? And they're like, sure. <laughs> you're like, thanks for doing all this work for me. Now I'm going to go benefit off of this. So yeah, but this this is a little more ethical. It's, it's not like totally. you had to like you you're not have cheating. To pass the test to know a Gibson Falcon. You just had somebody at the studio or something who said this amp is dope. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. No, you're right. You're right. It's totally way more ethical. There's no cheating involved or no test to pass. Only the cool test, cool yeah. meter test. And like I said at the beginning. Your album passes the cool test wow. 10 times over. So anybody listening who hasn't checked it out, go listen to it because it's amazing. The guitar tones are amazing. The playing is great. Madison's songs are incredible. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's really a treat. This was so much fun. Thanks for, for inviting me. There you have it. Madison Cunningham. She's so great. I love those answers. That's awesome. Go check out her music right now. She's got a couple new singles out. She's got her album. It's all really great music. So please check out what she's got going on. Thanks for joining us here on the Wong Notes podcast. I'm stoked that you guys are listening. I'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.